Welcome to The Loop Podcast, the podcast that makes sure B2B marketers stay in the loop with what works today when it comes to marketing to the modern buyer. I'm very excited today to be chatting to Tom Bangay, who's an old colleague of mine and Senior Director of Content and Community at Juro. Um, and also on a topic which is like actually quite close to my heart, and I've definitely done a big um, shift in terms of my thinking and philosophy on all about ebooks. Um, and I have to say, yeah, Tom was definitely my partner in crime when it came to ebooks at Juro and actually probably also at Thomson Reuters where we worked together before that as well. So um, this is going to be a really great episode for anyone who's still doing this type of long form content or trying to think about how to do it in a better way. Um, we're very aware that like it still exists, it's still part of people's playbooks. People still have um, a requirement to produce these types of pieces and there is no one better um, to give you all of the advice on how to do it well than Tom. So Tom, could you give our listeners some context in terms of what angle you're coming at the subject from company size and what's your role at Jura? I mean, I've kind of given you an intro in your role, but you can give us some more context. Thanks very much, Alice. Yeah, partner in crime. It was criminal what we were doing back then, <laughs> but I'm very happy to um, to talk about ebooks today, which are kind of a bit retro, but also very much still with us. So um, good to talk through. So yeah, I was employee number 12 at Jura where we used to work together. Um, and I guess during that time, I've looked after all things content because um, that was a seed stage company at that time. So long form, short form, the website, product marketing, PR, all kinds of stuff. Um, and then nowadays, the main the main buckets where I spend my time are organic search, um, sales enablement content, and community. Um, but I've written many, many an ebook over the years, uh, or rather, ghost written on behalf of more intelligent people. So very happy to talk about it. Amazing. And I guess you've kind of alluded to it a little bit there, but um, it seems like your approach to ebooks has shifted towards this, towards nurture and community building. I guess, can you elaborate on how that approach has been effective for Juro and made that shift happen? What sure. Um, I mean, when I think about the early days, um, I guess pre-Series A, um, in, some, in some ways it's very liberating that period because you have no brand and no one's heard of you and nothing exists. So kind of everything you do works to an extent unless you do a terrible job if you do any distribution you now have more people that have heard of you than than you did before you did it um so you're going from zero brand to some brand i think in the early days our approach to ebooks was um kind of a bit opportunistic there wasn't um really much in-depth authoritative content for um, legal operations which was kind of the the shiny term for the bunch of people who buy and implement tech solutions in legal, which was the market we were in. Um, and it seemed like a good idea to try and pull together something really chunky because we had no marketing database. We just started the company and it'd be a good way to grab lots of contacts really quickly. Um, so we wrote this big chunky ebook on legal operations and then um, kind of launched it and, and it was pretty successful and we got lots of um, new marketing contacts to, to talk to. Um, and then we would kind of follow up with webinars and nurture and all the kind of normal stuff that you would do. I'd say one of the reasons that that worked was there was a bit of a gap for that kind of content, particularly on the vendor side, because um, there's some stuff coming out of law firms, but it wasn't super engaging, if not to be unkind to the law firms. It, definitely there was a gap for something with a different tone of voice that's a bit more appealing. Um, also, our buyer persona kind of like it. Lawyers like to read stuff. Um, and if you can put authoritative brands and people on the front of something and say, this is not going to be like two minutes of your time, but you're going to get some really valuable resources. Um, they're kind of happy to hand over the, the details for it. I think um, 
the reason why we've sort of shifted slightly in our approach in using those for demand gen is that um, in the early days, we didn't really have any choice. It was like, who are we going to try and sell this product to? Well, you've got like these 1,500 people who downloaded this thing. Let's call them, see what happens. Maybe they'll like it. And enough of them did that it sort of works, but um, it's possibly like a paradigm example of something that doesn't scale well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can, it's really easy to have false positives as well. Anyone who's got um, a BDR or SDR team would know that there are some people who are just telephone magicians and you give them a list of like 100 people who read an ebook and they'll get you like five sales meetings out of it and the exact playbook with a different SDR is going to give you nothing and seem like a massive waste of time. Um, so I think over time, um, we moved to more granular marketing interactions like search content or uh, whatever it might be where we don't have to do so much time investment upfront before we start seeing any value. That's that's one thing, the resource side of it. And then the other side being the intent mismatch, because obviously if someone downloads a you know, benchmarking report on the state of in-house legal, that might mean they're um, a good persona fit for the thing that you're doing, but it, it has nothing to say about whether they're interested in your product, they have any pain, all that kind of stuff. So it's really easy to call someone up and say, hey, do you like the ebook? Do you want to talk about contract software? And they're like, no, I just wanted to know if other people are unhappy in their jobs and we've already got a CLM. So yeah, that expectations mismatch was a bit of a a waste of time. Um, So the approach became more, um, especially once we had our community group, we don't need to convert these people now, we have them, like they're in the group. I email them every Monday, Um, you know, we talk to them all the time in Slack. The focus is now, let's just give them things that they want. Like, let's just make them really happy. Let's increase brand sentiment so that um, if they ever need the thing that we sell, the chance of them not considering those is absolutely zero. Like, it doesn't mean we're going to win the deal. It doesn't mean we're a good fit for what they want. But after seeing someone in Slack group every day for two years and giving them loads of stuff, if they now need to demo some contract products, we're going to be on the shortlist. Um, so we found that a much more effective use of time. And it's kind of liberating as well. If you don't have revenue targets attached to ebooks, if you think about the people who are often working on ebooks, they're not necessarily you know, the CMO, the VP marketing, whoever it might be. They might be more junior content marketers who aren't really like familiar with revenue to, to the extent that they can follow attribution all the way down into close one deals. It's a lot of stress to have like, oh, you wrote this ebook. What's been the revenue impact? Probably the person who wrote the, the ebook can't answer that question straightforwardly, especially if you if you have first click attribution because you probably push the ebook to people you already converted anyway. So don't worry about that. Like use it to nurture people and then make sure that you're front of mind when they're ready to buy. Cool, amazing. Um, and I guess I think when I think back to the days when we were doing ebooks, I would say that we did ebook the best that you could if you're going to do an ebook then you should do it the way that we did it um so for marketers who are still using ebooks for lead generation which we are aware there still are many and that's partly because you know they're in these big large organizations and they're very difficult to just turn off like an mql model which is what's been built and what their sdr targets are on and etc etc um so I guess then really the thing that you can control is you might not be able to control the fact you've got to write an ebook and you still have to run that plate, but you can control how you do it and the quality of it. So what would be like some of the strategies that you'd recommend are more effective when it comes to like creating an ebook? Like what are the things that make are more likely to make that be a success? Yeah, great question. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's definitely important to stress that ebooks aren't dead. I was just on NVIDIA's website reading about how you triple the value of your company when you're already worth $400 billion. And when I tried to leave, I got pushed a white paper. So 
everyone's still doing it, um, even at the, the top level. And I think for a, a really small company, it's still quite a good tactic. Like, just give it a while, see if people like it. Because if you're a really tiny company, you probably don't know anything about your ICP anyway, or you don't know enough. So it's definitely something that's worth testing. I think in terms of how to make an ebook actually good, um, I mean, there's a few things to think about. First, you've got to be really honest with yourself. You're not a thought leader. Like you, the marketing person, are not a thought leader. Your CEO who told you to do it is probably not a thought leader either, at least not in the specific niche of the people trying to buy your thing. And if you position them as the only real thought leader, it's just transparent that you're going to get a sales pitch. So you don't have any authority or credibility. Just borrow some. Just like get some other people involved and make them want to lend it to you. So if you think about that legal ops ebook that we did back in the day, and we did a, something very similar a couple of years later called Legal for Scale-Ups. Um, the reason that worked was, so there's an ebook where we were talking about um, general counsel and what their life is like and the biggest problems they have at work. If we'd got like the general counsel of Bank of America and Coca-Cola and Microsoft or whatever, it would have been, number one, far too painful to actually do because we'd have had to go through so many layers of approval. But it wouldn't have really meant anything to the people we're trying to sell to because they're, they're not multi-billion dollar companies with huge teams. So finding a niche um, where people can recognize themselves and the other contributors is really important. Don't go too big, don't go too small, because you want people to say yes. And then you want the combined power of the people in your ebook to be like greater than the sum of its parts. Um, so we did that quite well. We would kind of borrow the credibility of slightly better companies and then use that to recruit new people to be in the ebook. So like, oh, Monzo's head of legal is going to be in it. Do you want to be in it? And then people say yes. And you end up with quite a nice level. Um, like I said, niche is always better. The more you have like a unique viewpoint um, that resonates with a smaller group of people, the more likely you're going to get conversion. Um, so that, that's always good to do. We tended to do interview-led content gathering where we would interview busy people and then go strike for them first person. What I will say, um, how do I put this delicately? Like, it's got to be really good. So you need to be a good writer. I realize I'm picking up myself here. But if you offer to save a general counsel some time and say, like, how do the interview? I'll write it for you. And then you send it to them and it's rubbish. You've now caused a problem for them where they've already wasted their time. And if they want to publish it, they're going to have to edit it for you. So got to make sure your quality control is really high. Um, I think proprietary data is always useful and you don't really need a big sample size but you need something that enables you to have a statistic that you can lead with um, or some way of, kind of making it um, attractive from a conversion point of view um, and also I think moving quite quickly like anything else in the startup if you've been working on it for six months forget it like it's a waste of time just start publishing chapters before it's finished but if you feel like you can get to a, um, a, a reasonable outcome that people would be willing to hand over their email address for safe in the knowledge they're probably going to be um, sold to at some point because uh, we all know that value exchange is happening when we do it if you don't feel like you have that then don't get it but if you do absolutely you can and you should amazing and i think also one thing that we ended up finding as well was that the people who were contributing into the ebook because you you they had such a good experience with jury and they became like almost like community partners of ours that we would tap into again and again um and you made them look great in what you wrote and how we put it out there that they actually it became ops like down the line as well and that's yeah. the thing that you sometimes don't forget to think about yeah that's interesting lots of people ended up being customers from from the ebook i mean that's like yeah a real definition of something that won't scale but in the early days it's a really good way to make some friends and let's say like 
okay, maybe they're, you know, you recruit the general counsel of a company for an ebook and then you try and sell to them and they say, oh, that's really kind of you to ask, but no, thank you. But if one of their friends is also a GC says, I just got an outbound email from this company, have you heard of them? They probably now have a little bit of guilt and a bit of nice sentiment. They'd be like, yeah, I know them. They're great to deal with. You should talk to them. So there's never a downside to that network effect of having more um, brand champions, even if it's not customers. Yeah. And so they underestimate, I guess, the, the importance of giving them a great experience if they're going to be involved in content with you and just thinking that bit through. Because I think sometimes we can all be a bit guilty of like take and not probably not giving back enough. Um, yeah I think so in the context of things like marketing budgets as well you know if someone goes out of their way and does a really great interview for you and um, interview for an ebook for you and then you know post it on LinkedIn like send them some champagne you know just do something nice for them because they've done something really nice for you that you know it, it actually when you think about it, it took them years of professional experience to be in a position to be able to lend that credibility to you and they've done it um, it's really kind of them you also did something for them and promoted them but like you know keep them keep them because you might need them again yeah, for sure. So I guess in um, the world where you're operating in today, like what's working best for you guys from a content perspective? Like what what is it that's like really bringing you wins? Well, King Channel at Jira at the moment is uh, Organic Search, which is um, also a new channel, so that's good. Um, I think, um, I mean, I, I could do a whole separate podcast on, on strategy there. I think... Um, Definitely one thing that would be actionable, actionable would be um, since the last, sorry, the EAT algorithm update, the helpful content update, um, it's much less important to do loads of backlinking, we found. Uh, so if you just focus on producing large amounts of really high quality, informative, useful content, it will definitely work. You'll definitely get traffic, you'll definitely get leads. It's very predictable, it just requires a lot of hard work. Um, so that's working really well. And then community, I mentioned, is the other thing that we absolutely love. So we have a private group of over a thousand now in house lawyers um, that we do exclusive, you know, private closed door events um, and content with them uh, and real world events now as well. And the close rate on Optua members is double the close rate on Optua and not members. So it's just absolute turbocharged nurture where, you know, and it kind of makes sense. There's someone you speak to every week. So when they're ready to dip their toe in the market um, that we operate in, it sort of makes sense that we skip a lot of steps of like trust building and brand building and all that stuff because they know us super well. It just comes down to product solution fit, um, which is really nice. So they're, they're working really well. Um, and I the think they can both go hand in hand, like thinking to these companies who still got to run, when I say run the ebook play, like they still have to produce these types of content. Like with search, I know, especially if you are under-resourced, um, if you still want to be like, thinking about prioritizing search as a channel for your business and it doesn't always have to be the case that like ebooks and search have to be like be fr like frictional because obviously we were saying we're talking about gating a piece of content here that sits behind essentially a paywall that won't get trawled by google but you can be clever like what i did at cognizant when i started because we were super under-resourced was like we would actually like we would create the ebook out of search first content um if that makes sense and so we would then just like repackage into um like an overarching topic which was still led by authoritative voices etc um but it meant that we were still getting the benefit of releasing stuff incrementally not waiting six months to release like one big asset and then also getting the search juice and then the thing that was packaged behind the paywall so to speak was just like the downloadable asset and people don't go through your blog and say 
oh, this is like the combination of this article, this article, this article. And there's still work to like obviously bring it all together. Um, so yeah, I don't know what your thoughts on that are, but that always works for me. For sure. I think people like really can get lost in the weeds of um, the idea that content is too repetitive amongst other areas of the site. Like nobody except maybe one or two people in the company, not even a whole marketing team because some of them are hired later than others, has any idea the content you have on your website. So as long as it's not duplicative to the extent that it looks spammy in Google, it's totally fine to offer things to people in two different ways. So like if you either way around you wanted to do that, let's say you had a suite of five pages in search that give you loads of traffic and then you bundle them as an ebook and put it as a CTA in the sidebar, great. You do it the other way around and have an ebook and then spread it out into search articles. Not everyone wants to like Google stuff. Some people want to download ebooks that they see on LinkedIn or whatever and vice versa. So there's definitely no harm in like repurposing is something that everyone could probably do more of. And people get nervous about it because especially if you're the content producer in a small team, you're like, God, I've just done something exactly like this. But the truth is like no one knows that except you because like almost no one in the world has read any of your content and people who've read your content have read almost none of it. So don't worry about that in, in some. Yeah, for sure. And then also I would add like thinking about it in terms of like other ways that you can produce it, like literally podcasts, you could do podcast episodes around it. Like you could do um, audio, like everyone wants to consume content in a different way. I think it's also really not thought through and you've got if you've got the bones of a lot of it there from the ebook like why not double down and like yeah i, I think uh, like just to um praise you guys for a bit i think like i think you guys have kind of uh reclaimed the meaning of the phrase quick and dirty when it comes to things like video and audio because i just really love the way that you guys will like just push out a video on something it's like just some guy talking to his laptop or whatever but it's informative and then days later, I'm going to see the same thing in written in written form. You just really like um, fluid between platforms for distributing content, and it, like the proof is in the pudding. There, you, you, your social metrics are all amazing. So, the more choice you give people to consume content, I think the more impact it's going to have. Yeah, definitely. And I just think driving home that point, like just because it's an ebook doesn't mean it can't be reused in other ways. So, like thinking about that is super important. Um, okay, so I know many marketers struggle to find the right balance between creating content and providing that value up front. We've actually just slightly just touched on this, but how do you find the balance with like your long-form content, Jure? Yeah, good question. I think um, there's a couple of points there. I guess it comes down to channels, first of all, because um, if your distribution method for that content would, is something like email marketing or LinkedIn, where it's one click, to your landing page where they're presented with downloading it. That's kind of different than if you want people to browse and then download it because you have no chance to build the offer in your email or your LinkedIn post. I think what I would say is like, it's easy to sort of get, like get a bit lost in, you know, there's certain ways in which search first content is different from other content because of keyword optimization, but not not really. Like it's sort of, like the main, the main things that are impacted in, I think like your headers and stuff. But if you think about SEO content, it's long form content. Like at one point, we outranked DocuSign in the UK for electronic signature. It was Jura number one, DocuSign number two, and DocuSign number three, which is very gratifying for me, um, but kind of silly because obviously DocuSign was ranked number one there. But the only way that happened was length. That article is like three and a half, four thousand words long, which is as many words as you might find in an ebook. So the the length is like it's sort of a category mistake to think about length in terms of value. I think if you're thinking about the like how much to gate, how much value to give up front 
um, point of view. I think of that as purely a conversion game because your only goal there is to like entice people to um, give a, give you their details in, in order to get the download. It's not really about how long the content is that they're able to access beforehand. It's actually a copywriting kind of exercise. So if your copywriting game is spectacular, you only need a few words. Like you don't need to do like here's chapter one and to get chapters two to nine, give us your details. Uh, if you think about it in terms of something like a report, let's say you do an annual report. If we did a report called, uh, like the headline was the 2022 lawyer report, like say who cares? I'm like, I don't know, don't want to download that, it's boring. But if the headline was 80% of lawyers want to quit their jobs this year, let's find out why. Everyone's going to click that. And as long as in the first page when they download it in the table of contents or whatever, they can see that they're going to, we're going to make good on that promise and show them the data and tell them what we found, that's fine. Um, yeah, I think it's just as long as what you're giving people after the gate is good enough and your conversion game is strong enough, I, I don't really worry about leaving stuff in front of the gate. Is um, sort of, <laughs> I'm going to say it's cheating. It's not cheating, but um, you should be able to drive the click with your copywriting rather than having to give it away. I don't know if that made sense. Yeah, and I also think you came up with a good thing to think through there, which is like a lot of the time when we're marketers and running these ebook plays and you're thinking of it as a campaign, all your focus is on get the download. You're all, all you're thinking about is that conversion rate optimization, whether it be like the ad copy, that copy on the landing page, like how much you give up front versus like behind the form. And then pretty much what happens is that the thought ends there. Like you, you fill in the form, you go to the classic thank you page where you download your PDF and then you're in a nurture sequence, probably from marketing and probably from outbound. You're probably getting targeted by both. Um, and the marketing one's probably pretty straightforward. It's like, thanks for downloading the ebook, here it is. And then there's probably like a classic, like two or three email sequence where it's assuming you're like top of funnel, middle funnel, bottom of funnel, which is obviously completely pointless and not the case at all. Hmm. Um, but actually what you should probably be putting most of your time into, like working at least with your demand gen team or other parts of the organization if you have them, is like, how do, okay, it's great that we've managed to write this great ebook. We know this content is amazing. We know the value is there and we are going to have to gate it. But how can we make sure that after we've done that, people don't just leave it sitting on their desktop. They never read it. They don't get the value from it because ultimately what you want is engagement because that's a positive interaction with your brand. If you're backing yourself that piece of content is really, really good and powerful. And I think that's where you could, it can become really interesting. It can be like, okay, I know that, realistically in that moment they're not going to have time to read my 40 page pdf ebook um they thought the topic was interesting so i'm going to have to remind them about it probably a like a few times and by doing that i need to do it in an interesting way in probably different formats and i don't need to be thinking about trying to convert this into a meeting at this point like my number one goal is that they actually read this or at least engage with some form of it and then that's going to mean that later down the line when sdrs or whatever else are reaching out to that, con that prospect. Number one, they remember that they downloaded something and they actually read it. And number three, like that conversation is going to be so much easier. So I think yeah. another point to, to think about as well. It's definitely something to equip the, the sales team for those conversations as well, because it happens all the time where if you're, if you're doing a kind of blunt force, standard, old school kind of follow-up cadence, you hear it all the time, you're in the office, you hear someone call somebody and you just, like, it just cuts through the noise in the office where you hear them. They're like, oh, you just you just like the content. Okay, that's great. I'll pass that on to the marketing team. It's like, what is that? 
it's like you've got to be prepared for the idea that you know, you know the, the colleagues you work with every day in marketing they did something really good they sent it out people liked it and they read it and now you're talking to the person who read it and like they might not be ready to buy and that's okay but you sort of need a way to talk to them about what's just happened that it's not like oh okay you just like the content it's kind of like disappointing to the sales team the sales team is sort of a de- defeat there it's like oh great yeah i'll pass that on and firstly, they never pass it on. Certainly, if I'm in the office, I hear it. But um, secondly, it's just like a bit of a weird dead end that doesn't seem to have any any thought there. And what's actually being said is like, we love, we love, we love your brand. That's great. Like, what you did a great job. I'm really happy I read it. Um, cool. Like, how are we going to harness that? Um, and I think, yeah, like you said, I think we can get a bit, um, especially if we're targeted on the wrong metrics, you can get lost in the conversions. Like, how do we convert more? Like conversion is ultimately a vanity metric. Like, what's the point of the conversion? It's not really any point to it unless you can make it work for you long term. Yeah, and I think on that point of like enabling the sales team to have those conversations, we found that like creating like almost like an call it like an MDR directory, but um, we would run training sessions with them where we would just like let's be honest, they're not going to read the ebook. Like, they might know the title of it and they'll they'll get like notified what campaign it was part of. Beyond that, they probably got very little context. And that makes conversations like very difficult, especially like a jury where you're talking about like a, a salesperson trying to talk to like very senior lawyer. Um, there needs to be like some level of depth there if you've got any chance of getting like a meeting booked. So we, you need to put in some time with the sales org to really align them in terms of like, yeah, what was in that, what was in that content? Like what's the unique value of it? Like, how can they, what, how do you think they can pitch it and like turn that conversation into something meaningful and then also spend some time like listening to the calls seeing where it's falling down and actually we used to even get involved we did some cold calling on some of our incoming downloads as well and that was wow. that was like you're a brave one i think yeah and also not to just throw that like sales under the bus all because it's a super hard job like how could you expect a salesperson to pick up the phone and have a peer-to-peer conversation with the general counsel you've got to help them out like give them like something to take into that discussion so for example if they just like the content and you're able to get like five of those people to say like, oh if you really liked it like we're actually having a, a networking breakfast next month with um, only for female gcs in london you know that, that might be useful kind of thing like offer them something else that they might like that's not um selling but moves them a little bit closer to your brand and like that's a great outcome if you manage to get from like you know 10 calls a couple of people to now come and meet your exec team in person amazing definitely cool so as um a company that's kind of has done this transition away from like the ebook download mql sales follow-up day um did you face any challenges was it just a natural like evolution are there any like tips that you would share with fellow marketers doing a shift um I think I thought about this before our call. I was thinking um, the number one thing I would say is hold your nerve, right? Because what what you're actually talking about, we went through this a lot during the pandemic. Uh, we hired a new director of demand gen, who's an absolute wizard in his obsessed with attribution, and we went from not that great attribution to kind of ninety plus percent attribution. And at that point, when you have a clear-eyed look of what's working for you in terms of revenue, it's not even like should we do this, should we not do this. It's very clear what you should do, but you have to hold your nerve. Like if you now say to whatever whoever it is like you know that number we track every week in that spreadsheet we all talk about it we decided we don't care about that number anymore and we're going to do something different like, that doesn't help that number at all um you really got to hold your nerves because whatever you choose to when if you choose to stop doing something it's gonna 
might fall off a cliff immediately. SEO takes takes not too much time, but it takes some time, especially if you're an early stage company with poor domain authority. Community takes time, um, but the outsized results we get access to will, like, if you're CEO or whoever's you're reporting up to understands that the number of form fields is not not going to get you there. If you have the backing to to hold you there, then it's all going to be worth it. Um, and the best thing is something like SEO is like an, a really predictable channel. So if you can get into a more predictable motion than like we got an ebook coming out next month, I wonder what's going to happen. Like it's just an easier, stress-free way to live. And um, the other thing I would say is it's a bit more delicate. But you got to think about the team. So are they the right team? Are they doing the right stuff? Do they understand how the the like micro tasks they do impact revenue? Um, because it's extremely unlikely that the people you have now if you start worrying about a different outcome from your written content aren't going to be useful of course they have got all the skills but you're going to need to get them to understand in a different way how the work they're doing impacts your bottom line because it's very de- demoralizing if you don't understand how you're helping the business grow um so yeah think about the team where are you like where are you overweight and, and how can you help the team better understand what the outcome is going to be of that shift and how, how they're playing a part in the company moving forward amazing and then our favorite question, which we like to end on and ask everyone um, to give us their insights on, is what would be something you'd tell marketers to stop doing? One thing you tell them to start doing? Um, yeah, based on what you're doing at the moment. I thought about this. I narrowed it down to about 12. Um, <laughs> I, on, on the um, uh, stop doing, I, thought, I actually thought two things, two things. One is PR. I think most B2B software companies are not that interesting. And the stretch to find, like, I, I think it's amazing what we do at Jira and the AI features we just shipped are incredible, but we're a contract provider, right? Like, it, it's just not that newsworthy. But there's only, I can think of, like, two times when I've seen contracts in the news. One was um, the free publicity DocuSign got at the Prince Becoming the King. That was kind of cool. And the other one is Transfer Deadline Day. Um, other than that, no one, no one cares about contracts, right? Because it's just not that newsworthy i mean people deeply care about contracts when they're at work but it's not going to be in the news and pr is almost impossible to track so until you're a bigger stage company or you have a very specific goal like we need brand awareness in this part of the us because we're doing a funding round with us and blah blah blah, i just think your return on investment is quite low especially because agencies aren't cheap the other thing this is going to be perhaps controversial but i think is a waste of time for most b2b software companies is product hunt <laughs> sorry sorry, bit of a sacred cow but like if you're in any vertical like we sell to lawyers or whatever the number of pe- lawyers who go on product hunt to make buying decisions is zero yeah so even though we all get really excited about it i would honestly say being number one on product hunt means absolutely nothing mm-hmm. no, sorry product hunt guys i mean maybe as a brand thing in the very 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 early days but Whenever I see someone getting super excited about going to be doing something on product, I'm, I'm, I bet my soul dies for me. <laughs> okay, amazing. And I would definitely, like, I would echo that on the PR front as well. Even if you fundraise, no one cares. Like, very, very few people care. Like, yeah, it's an easy, quick win for traffic, but at the same time, you get, you're going to get targeted by a lot of bots, a lot of people trying to sell you stuff because you've suddenly got money. Um, yeah, I mean, I remember with the, when we did our Series B, um, we managed to get our CEO live on Sky News, and I was like, I'm never going to top this. But then, do I know if it had any impact? I I've got no idea. Yeah. Um, so it's a cool video clip to have, but I don't sure, think that's how people make buying decisions. Uh, Richard, love it. like <laughs> I've basically never seen Richard stressed 
accept twice and that was one of the two times <laughs> and he was only stressed for about 10 seconds and then he got over it and was great on tv but um that's probably quite nerve-wracking yeah i would say so be up there amazing well as always it's been a pleasure to talk to you tom and uh thank you very much for deep diving the memory banks for ebooks you're very welcome it's my pleasure it's great to talk to you